You're listening to audio from The Village Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or give to our ministry, please visit us at thevillagechurch.net. Well, hey, TVC. My name is Mitch Thompson, and I'm a church planter here uh, at TVC, and my wife and I are going to be planting a church in Johannesburg, South Africa. Uh, so if we, haven't had the, if we haven't had the privilege of meeting you yet, we'd love to meet you and get to know you. And today, I'm going to have the privilege of reading the Word of God uh, from Acts chapter 1, verses 6 to 8, in one of South Africa's 12 official languages. I'm going to be reading in Isizulu today. Kona labo, ababebutene, bambuzi bati, nkosi usawu buisela umbuso, gu Israeli galesi sikati na, wati gubo, agusigo okwenu okwazi izikati, noma aimizuzu ubaba agumisele gamandla ake, godwa niza guamugeliswa amandla, umoya onhuele, Ezivekile pezu gwenu, nibe govakazi bami, e Jerusalema, nase Judea lonke, nase Samaria, guze gube seko tineni komhlaba. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, God. Man, we just read the Bible in Zulu. What? Like, not French, Zulu. That's awesome. Um, the first Wednesday of every month. By the way, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to just, we're going to sentence by sentence through that passage, but in English, so you can breathe out. I can't do that. <laughs> the first Wednesday of every month, our staff does what we call restore. We've done it for almost 20 years now. And so the, the intent of it, when we started, I think the first one we ever did was like in my, you know, 01 Chevy Impala, and we, I mean, what the, the purpose of it is to gather our staff together and, and to remind them long before they were in vocational ministry, they were sons and daughters of God. And, and that our worth and value isn't on what we do, but who God says that we are. Ministry's got a weird thing where it'll pull you into performance, maybe faster than other things. And so I wanted to just, we're going to stop it all Wednesday from nine to noon. We're going to pray. We're going to worship. We're going to testify. And then we're going to hear from the word of God that we're sons and daughters first. That's what we do. Uh, We have a lot of fun when we do it. Uh, we will oftentimes, not oftentimes, when we gather, if there's new people coming onto staff, we have them stand up and introduce themselves. And, uh, and, and then we're going to, we, we want a fun fact. And if we don't think that fact is fun enough, then we want to know an unpopular opinion. And if that popular opinion isn't unpopular enough, you're going to take questions from the crowd. And, um, and then if people are leaving, uh, then we want them to stand up and, and we want to hear from them. Like, where's the Lord leading them? We want to celebrate with them. We want to pray over them. So as they're coming or as they're leaving, we want to celebrate that, pray over that, rejoice that God's given you us or given us to you and you to us for a season. I don't think everybody's here for life. In fact, I, I know they're not, but they're seasons and we need to rejoice in those seasons. And so that's what we do. And I was struck uh, just a couple of weeks ago when we were doing this, we didn't do it the first weekend. We actually, uh, we, we did it the, the next. And so I was struck at Restore, knowing that I was about to preach this passage and on this, 
that at that restore, we had uh, someone coming in um, to our little family of faith, Colleen Searcy, who's sitting over here, has joined our staff, and that was a huge coup in the kingdom. If you follow sports and you like see, oh my gosh, they got who? Who'd they trade? Or if you follow college football, the transfer portal, well, we snatched Colleen out of the transfer portal, and we couldn't be more excited for her addition. Uh, to our church. I love you. I will not tell you her unpopular opinion. It's a playoff Sunday, so I won't touch it. And then, uh, and then we had one of our staff stand up and let us know that she, she was rolling off staff. She's had uh, two uh, babies the last uh, few years, and she feels called by God back into her home, back into her neighborhood, uh, to her husband, to her children, to her neighborhood. And so she's very serious about, you know, helping us be a church that cares about the gospels in our neighborhoods, in our places. She's going to embody that all the more. And then we had that family. We just bless, stand up and go to the ends of the earth. And so I'm thinking, man, our heart is for us to mature and grow here and, and let it not be kind of a, a, a dam or a reservoir that holds it here, but then for it to spill out and get out of here like into our neighborhoods, into uh, our city, this town, this area, all the way to the ends of the earth. We want that. And I was sitting there at Restore. I knew this was coming. I'm like, oh my gosh, it's happening. Like God is bringing us calling. He's sending Emma into her neighborhood and then this family to the ends of the earth. And I'm like, okay, man, maybe, maybe wind's hitting the sail in a pretty profound way. And so uh, I want to talk all the more to you today about how not to be bored. That's what I want to talk to you about, how not to be bored, right? Because we're the most entertained group of humans that's ever existed, and we feel unanchored and, and aloft out there. So let me, I'm going to help. I want to try to help. So let's look at this passage. This is, um, th- this is after Jesus' death and resurrection, before his ascension, just like Matthew 28 was when we read it just a little earlier. And here's what he says to his disciples. That's what he's speaking. He's speaking to his disciples. He says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it is not for you to know times or seasons that the father has fixed by his own authority. Now I want to stop. There's a lot there and all of it's awesome, right? So here's what he just said. Here's their question. The question's loaded. Are you gonna, okay, we just saw you raise from the dead. It's kind of bent our mind. Now, will you establish your kingdom? Here's the question's tied to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. It's tied to Moses. It's tied to David. He's asking, will you fix this? Are you going to fix it now? It would be hard for us to get our minds around a pre-Christian environment in the ancient Near East. You would have saw your first dead body before you could walk. If you were a little girl, you probably wouldn't have made it. You'd have been thrown out on the street. There were no orphanages for you. There were no government systems for you. No concept of the Imago Dei. Child sacrifice still in full swing. Dark, brutal, gory, awful. And there are subjected people by a power. You can hear it. How long will you do it now? Will you stop this? And I get the question, man. And I'm pastoring a church in 23. I get the question. Like, man, I I watch us, just our little stuff. Like our kids get sick, our doctor's appointments, our heartaches, our disappointment. I can find my my own. I can find myself going, now? Will, will, Will you establish the kingdom now? 
Will you stop this nonsense once and for all? How much more of this can we take? Jesus, will you establish your kingdom now? And Jesus answers them with a kind of yes, no. He does. Did you see it? Here's what he says. The first thing's one that's meant to humble us. It's not given to you. It's not for you to know. It, there's a couple of things happening here. One, he's like, do you trust me or do you not trust me? I just rose from the grave. Do you, do you trust me? Do you, do you trust me here? And the second thing is, and here's what I, here's what I, I I'm just, my faith is prone to work this way. Um, if God is eternal, has always been and will always be, how much of him am I actually going to be able to comprehend? I mean, what have I been here, like a half millisecond? I'm, I'm 48, and, and that, that feels kind of middle-agey to me. Maybe I'm older than that. I don't care. I feel middle-agey. Maybe even feel younger than that until I hang out with younger than that. I'm middle-agey. And I'm telling you, I feel like, humanly speaking, I mean, I've been through some stuff. I feel weathered, and, and I feel battle-tested, and I feel, until you throw me up against the one who's always been will always be, knows all things always at once, is outside of time, and, and that I don't know squat. And there were moments in my children's lives when they were small and I would try to explain something to them, and it just could not. They, they had no capacity to comprehend. And I think part of what Jesus is doing here is protecting us. Like, you, your head would explode. It's not been given to you to know. But then here's the good news but it has been set by the Father. Now, this isn't like theological determinism. This isn't saying like God knew the shirt you would wear today. He's saying as far as the kingdom expanding across the globe and all things eventually being made new at the coming of Jesus once and for all, at the second coming of Jesus, that's been set by the Father. And so here's, here's why I love it. Here's why that encourages my heart. Because we're not stuck in a never-ending cycle of loss. There's an end coming. There's a good end coming, a happy end coming. And I don't know how you're built. That helps me hang on. Like the idea that it will not always be like this is one that orients my heart around hope. And this is what he says. It's set. The time is set. What God is up to is set. The spread is set by God in heaven. And that, and then he, he has to do this. He has to put three letters there to help us. Because even that's like, okay, I'm going to try to trust you. I'm not sure I'm going to be able to hang in there. And he knows you're not going to be able to hang in there. So he throws the B-U-T in there, right? So he, here's what he says. Not, not given to you to know when the kingdom in its fullness will be established. It's here. It's spreading. It's taking ground. Even now. And it'll be consummated once and for all at the second coming, which has been set. The Father knows you're closer than you've ever been. And I know life in a fallen world is hard, so, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Okay, so the Lord knows that his followers aren't going to be able to, with white-knuckled discipline, make it. You hear me? That, and I'm, I'm speaking to you type A'ers, right? That's who I'm talking to. You're the ones that think you can. You are. You're just like, if I can just manage it. How's that going? I mean, so many uncontrollable variables. And the number of us that double down on that when we get exposed, controlling's not working. Let me control harder. I mean, it'll just, it's going to kill you. Don't look at your spouse right now. Come on. 
Just worry about yourself. Let the ghost be the ghost. Now, so the promise is you will receive power, but when? When the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Well, when does the Holy Spirit come upon you? At conversion. If you ever sincerely said yes to Jesus Christ, you are my Lord, you are my Savior. That's what theologians call justification. That's in an instant you're justified and you're sealed with the promise. The Holy Spirit comes and dwells in your heart. It's sealed in there, right? So you surrender, you're filled with the Spirit. Now, the the Spirit's power in your experience is going to increase and level out for the rest of your life. You're going to have moments where that power like turns up to eight, and and sometimes the the whole circuit will explode. And and sometimes it's just always just there. And, And just so we can be friends, my greatest frustration as a pastor is trying to convince you you have more power than you're walking in. I mean, it's my greatest frustration. I mean, everybody thinks they're third string. So you prep like third stringers, you play like third stringers, like somebody else will do that. I mean, I'm just a like, I'm practice squad player. And I'm telling you, here's what's great about the kingdom. Everybody's a practice squad player. You serious? You're looking at how he builds his teams? Like you're not hiring one of the 12 disciples. I can promise you that. I don't even know what industry you're in. Man, you might be a trash guy. And you're like, I'm just not quite sure he's got the back for this. Like these are not who you're going to pick. And the glory of God is seen not in how awesome and educated and well-off we are. It's seen in his power moving through practice team players to win the Super Bowl. I'm just using that kind of illustration because it's playoff Sunday, right? I mean, this is what God does. And so you, if you're a Christian, you received power at your conversion. Power to what? To live victoriously in this environment where the kingdom of God is expanding, but we're still in a broken world, the already but not yet. The kingdom is broken through. It hadn't been fully consummated. So we're in the soup, man. We're in the mess. And you're going to need power for that. You're not strong enough, smart enough, or able enough to live the Christian life on your own merit or with your own effort. So you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And this power works in a couple of different ways. One, this power works internally, right? One of the things we see in the scriptures repeatedly, as well as in church history, is timid people receive the Spirit and they all of a sudden become bold. Like they were timid, they were afraid, they played small, they hung on the wall, they let somebody else do it, and then all of a sudden, they receive power, and now they become bold. They're no longer timid, they're willing to die. And this is one of the things that happens with the disciples. Like, watch them, they're constantly confused and scared, and then all of a sudden, they're not. They've got great clarity and unbelievable courage. It's like, who are these guys? Because we like to think that stuff's aptitude. Huh? Introverts, I'm talking to you. Don't think I don't know this whole sermon. You think that's a command given to extroverts. He would not do that to us. He would not ask that of us. He wove us together in our mother's womb, pastor. Don't even try. I am praying for those extroverts who he sends into the harvest. It's, it's just not true. You, you received power when the Holy Spirit came upon you. It moves timid people to bold people. It, it moves stiff-necked people to obedience. This is the Holy Spirit gives us power, look at me, over our stomach. You tracking with me? Over our appetites. 
I had no interest in giving up the things that I wanted before the Holy Spirit came upon me. I expected God to get it. I mean, right? I mean, I, I want these things. It's not a bad thing to want. I, I want it. I'm going to take it. And it wasn't until the, the Holy Spirit came upon me that I was like, oh, wait, no, no, you're so much better. I, give me you. Like, no, no, not this, you. Like I, and then all of a sudden, I'm, I'm reading the word, and the Bible puts weight on us. Like, the Bible will press on you, man. You're, you're going to come across stuff in the scriptures you don't like. And so you can take that moment to be like, well, and, and blame God for some nonsense, which I don't think eternally is going to work. Or you can come under it, and those who come under it and walk in freedom from their sins have always tapped into the power that God put in them via the coming of the Holy Spirit. It's internal. He starts to form a community, like a community that has no business being together. We talked a little bit about this next week. Here's what's great for me to know. I mean, I just get, I get a real high level on our congregation. There are, there are some folk here, they didn't, they, didn't, they didn't walk on a Friday night when they were in high school. You tracking with me? They didn't walk. They, they didn't get that high school diploma. They didn't get it. They, school wasn't easy for them. Some dark stuff was happening. As uneducated as it gets. We got some PhDs around here, man. I mean, like, double PhD in one case. Like, who does that? They're broken. It's fine. <laughs> and then we got master level. We got every kind of socioeconomic imaginable present here. We got varying ethnicities and backgrounds, multiple languages. Some of us grew up in homes where mom and daddy cuddled with us and read us the children's Bible and prayed over us and wanted for us so much. And some of us grew up where mom and dad wasn't there and we hated it when they were. Some of us grew up having never ate out except maybe on our birthday. And some of us didn't know mom and dad could cook. We ate it all the time. So, I mean, I'm just saying, the diversity of experience in this room is as vast as the number of people in this room. But here we are. Like, I feel given to you. I feel you given to me. Like, I need you to fulfill what God's asked me. And you, you need me. This is what the Lord just did. He's like, let me give you guys each other in your varied experiences and my varied experience. And let me try to start to weave this thing into something that couldn't exist without me. It's unbelievable. Yes. You will receive power internally, but also externally. That power internally always bubbles up and leads to power expressed externally. And you see this throughout the scriptures and you see this throughout human history. You see uh, immediately after this, people healed, people set free from demonic oppression. You, you see people um, who watch miraculous outpourings of the Holy Spirit flowing out of these men and women who have been sealed by the Holy Spirit. You see great faith activated, activated by steps of obedience that then uh, lead to big outpourings of God's power. That power also resides in you. It will most frequently, most frequently play itself out by God answering your prayers built on faith. You'll pray for your sick neighbor. You'll pray for a friend. You'll, you'll ask God to save that barista that so faithfully gives you that macchiato, whatever you do every day, right? You will, you will pray and God's power will pour itself out. And when you start to notice that that's what's happening, it'll start to grow exponentially into other places. But, but my guess is that's the place you're gonna see the breakthrough of power. Your 
faithfulness in prayer to ask God to do the things that God in the scripture says he likes to do. You with me? So the power transforms me, but does not terminate on me. It fills and floods and pours out of me onto the world that God has placed me in, but more on that here in a second. And so remember, the, he's got the, the butt down. You will receive power and the Holy Spirit has come upon you. That's conversion. And you will be my witnesses. So that's not, there's no trickeration there. And it's not, um, it's not like, what does witness mean? It, it means that we testify to what we've seen. We testify to what we've seen. And, and since you and I are in a moment of human history that, that we, we see it with the eyes of our hearts, we see it by the power of the Holy Spirit. We see it by the book. It begins to shape and form us into a kind of people as we testify. So let me, let me you and I testify to the life of Jesus. Jesus' life fulfills the law in a way that mine does not. I need to know that. I need to watch Jesus interact with people in the New Testament. Like I need to watch him with that woman at the well, guys. I need to watch him not condemn her, move towards her in love, not excuse her rebellion against God, but move towards her in love. I got to watch him do that because he did that to me. And now he's asking me to testify that that's what he does. I need to watch him with Zacchaeus, who although was a wee little man, was an evil little man. And God went to his house and he ate dinner with him. And he called him into forgiveness and glory. He didn't blog about him or blast him or set out on a campaign to destroy him. He went to his house and religious people hated him for it. And he called him into the kingdom. I need to watch that because I'm built for war and I like a good fight. God's kingdom doesn't work like my little kingdom. I need to watch Jesus love Zacchaeus and be reminded you're going to cross one and, and you have them over for dinner or you go to the, you invite yourself to their house for dinner. That's, it makes it weirder, but it still works. Like, oh, yeah, I'm Pastor Matt. Yeah, um, Tuesday? What are, you, what are you doing Tuesday? I'll, I'll be at your house. Right? It's a, but you see what Jesus did. In that culture, the honor is to go to theirs. I mean, Jesus is honoring Zacchaeus, the tax collector. He's raising funds for an occupying army that's raping and killing and murdering his people. There's not a kind of traitor like that in our culture that I'm aware of. Jesus goes to his house. Gosh, I've just spoken at conferences with people who are outside my theological tribe. People tried to burn me to the ground. Like you, you see in Jesus move towards Zacchaeus? I need to see, I need to testify to his life. I need to feel the gap between him and me. I want to testify to his life, but also I need to testify to his death because the more I look at his life, the more I see, gosh, that gap is huge. And so maybe, man, maybe you don't, Gosh, I don't ever want to, maybe you've been in church your whole life and the cross has just confused you. Like, why? now what? Well, the cross is about justice and grace simultaneously. Justice and grace simultaneously. If God just says about your sin and mine, don't worry about it, well, then he's not just. He's just not just, which means if he's not just, then he's unjust and we shouldn't trust him. And, and if you're like, okay, give me, give me a picture. Great. Let's just say you got caught. Heinous crime. Like, and I mean caught. 
Like, not only eyewitnesses, but video with you holding your driver's license while you do the heinous crime, right? Just no doubt, no deep fake. It was you. Like, your family saw it. Your best friend saw it. It's on video. It's been verified. You're wearing your favorite shirt, doomed. And you get in front of the judge. The judge sees all the evidence. All the testimonies against you happen. And he thinks about it and says, you know what? Yeah, you're guilty, but man, I, gosh, man, I like you, man. You got a vibe I like. So you know what? Don't worry about it. Yeah, you're guilty, guilty, but I don't, you know what? You're not. I'm just going to declare you innocent. We're done here. Now, is that judge just? No, he's gone. He's gone. Well, you and I are the one blatantly guilty for all the universe to see. I do this a lot, and I have a little time to do it today. Um, Ten Commandments. We talk about this all. This is my favorite illustration. It just works. The Ten Commandments, when I was growing up, hung on the wall of kindergarten classrooms. Remember that? Anybody else remember that? Xers and up. I don't know when it got taken out. But seriously, like on the wall. Which means that there was a point in our culture where, broadly speaking, people thought five-year-olds can understand this. And they put it on the wall of a game. They didn't wait till elementary or, you know, maybe complex ethics deep in die. No, it's like, you're five, you don't even know your letters. But you get this. You would understand this. And you and I can't pass it. We fail it. Every one of them. You score a zero on the only test they take. Like, you love things more than you love God. You're, you're prone to envy. And envy is only an accusation that God's not good to you. You accuse God when you envy. You accuse God when you think other people get what you deserve or bad things happening to them is a good thing because they deserve it. That's heinous. It's an accusation that God doesn't know what he's doing and that he's evil. Now, you might not have killed anybody, but you've had some rage in your heart. You might not have, you might not have physically cheated on your spouse, but you've emotionally wondered and you've maybe peered with your eyes at things that aren't yours. You've in your heart lusted do I need to keep going or are we good? Okay, good, because I, the, uh, we don't have that kind of time. So, so what's happening in this moment is, is that you, you and I are guilty. Like, we're just guilty, all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What can confuse some of you, some of you are actually guilty of self-righteousness, which is sometimes harder to spot, right? Like, your, your reliance is on your goodness. Your pride is around your goodness, right? You're, you're just, I mean, I love you. You're just kind of a jerk, you know, you're like, you're not like those people. That, that's how you think of yourself. And I'm not, I really, I'm not trying to make a joke. That's some of you. And I'm, I'm more worried for you than I'm worried for anybody else. The person stuck in, in addiction and deep brokenness will realize eventually that they're stuck. The self-righteous will just smile all the way to hell. It's a dangerous thing to be self-righteous. And so in this space, we look to the death of Jesus on the cross as the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for all of our sin, past, present, and future. And I know that because all of my sins were future sins when Jesus died on the cross. So I become a testifier of that. I become a witness of that. I have received it, and, and now I'm witnessing about it. And I experience that, that idea that I'm, I'm sinned too far, I've done too much, there's no way this is for me, all the time in our area. And, and we're in the South, so it, it shows this weird misunderstanding of what the Christian faith is. The number of men 
I invite to come here and, and to maybe join men's Bible study or just come on a Sunday morning and tell me they think that if they showed up here, that God would just smite them in the lobby. And I'm like, well, look, man, I've been there 20 years, not a single smite yet. And I want to remind you that the only people welcome before the kingdom of God are broken, stupid people. Because that's all there actually is. So I testify to the life of Jesus that is perfect and to the death of Jesus that absorbs all of God's wrath towards me. Because that righteousness then is imputed onto me by the Holy Spirit so that when God sees me, he sees the perfection of Jesus. This is the gospel and then we testify to the resurrection of Jesus that guarantees it all. How do I know that the bill's paid in full? Because he's not dead. And and so this becomes what we testify to. And man, let me just say, if you're in here today and and that's striking you a kind of way uh, for the first time in your life, this is what's available to you. This is our message. Our message isn't about sexuality. It's not about morality. Our message is that a savior is coming to the world to save and redeem you from every bit of brokenness in your life. We're not promising easy life. We're promising life in the spirit, a power given to us for victory over sin and to, to live victoriously and until all things are made new. That's the problem. And if you've never done it, you can do that today. I, 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 you don't need to repeat any prayer to me. I'm, it's not witchcraft. We don't have incantations. You just need to ask God to save you. You just need to say, I, I want you to, to lead my life. I want to submit to you. And then we'll have a chance at the end of the service, go to the back or one of our prayer team and just go, man, I, I'm in. I don't even know what that means yet, but I mean, I want that. Whatever that was, yes. I got some stuff. I need to lay at his feet and get off of me because it's killing me. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. Great, where? Great question. So he actually just lays it out. He he starts with Jerusalem and he starts with Jerusalem. Here, look at me, this is really, this is deep water because that's where they are. That's where they are, right? He's not saying Jerusalem from Samaria. They're in Jerusalem. You will be my witnesses, where? where you are. And here is the assault on boredom. I wonder if you saw your neighborhood. Well, let me start here. If you saw your home, first and foremost, through these lenses. And then what about, what if you're in the neighborhood you're in for these reasons? Huh? Like what if, like Acts says and Psalm 139 says, that you've been uniquely wired and uniquely placed so that men might seek him and find him, though he is not far from any of us? What if your neighbors are exactly who your neighbors are supposed to be and your little idiosyncrasies and and, and oddities and, and all the beautiful things about you are like really beautifully mixed with theirs for the purpose of God opening their hearts to hear and to see? Like what if you saw your neighborhood like that? What if you saw your workplace like that? What if... What if, this is crazy, what if work in the eternal scheme of things wasn't just about you getting by for 60-something years before you enjoy that last 10 doing whatever it is, whatever hobby you've sort of leaned into while you were working? What if, what if your aptitude towards engineering or teaching uh, or um, you know, welding or whatever, what if your aptitude actually had to do with putting you near people who are far from God so that in your testifying of his life, death, and resurrection, others might be brought into the kingdom as the kingdom continues to expand? Your Jerusalem is here. 
It's your street, your home, your workplace, where you play, what your hobbies are, all those aptitudes. That's Psalm 139, Acts 17, all go into you being uniquely wired and uniquely placed for this end. And I think the Christian is bored because we're in this kind of lifelong pursuit of head knowledge without ever actually doing anything that we've learned. Jerusalem. And then he starts to expand the, the circle. He goes to Judea first, which made sense. It was south of Jerusalem, but it was still all ethnically Jews. So he, he sends them to that next circle, like to people more like you. So Jerusalem, where I am, what I'm like, and then on into like other people like me. And I think what's in view in this moment is like, I tend to be in spaces where people are kind of like me. And so it's bigger than my neighborhood and it's bigger than my workplace and it's bigger than my hobby. It's any place I go where God's got me around people that are culturally very similar to me. And then it doesn't stop there. It keeps rolling to Samaria. And now, now we're in the sauce. Samaria was north. They were not friends. They, They were not alike. Their cultures were wildly different. Some similarities, but some wild differences. Not to, not to imagine hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years of hate and go there. And then he lands on the and to the ends of the earth. Now, if you write in your Bible, draw in your Bible, color in your Bible, whatever, I would circle that word and because he didn't say then, he said and. So, so the picture of the Great Commission, which is a command, is that the picture of this is not just do it well in Jerusalem, but it's do it well in Jerusalem with an eye to the ends of the earth. Do do it well in Samaria. Do it well in Judea with an eye to the ends of the earth. The ends of the earth are always in view because that's where the gospel's going and it's been purchased and guaranteed and we get to participate. Like I said earlier, it's like this cosmic take your kid to work day. I'm gonna save, I'm gonna redeem, I'm gonna call the nations to myself. Do you wanna play? What a great invitation. Okay, let let me wrap this up. Uh, I saw an interview with Clint Eastwood. This sounds dumber now that I'm saying it out loud, but it's fine. I felt the same way in the nine. It's gonna, we're going to do fine together. saw this interview with Clint Eastwood, um, and the, the woman interviewing him said, well, you know, you're, I, I think he was 147 at the time or something like that, and she was like, you know, you're, you're 140, you're still making movies, you're still writing movies, you're still acting and directing in movies, while almost all of your peers have given it up. What's the secret? And I don't know if you saw this. It's, I mean, again, I think it's a couple years old. I just saw it a year and a half ago. Clint, steely-eyed Clint, looked right at her and he said, easy, don't let the old man in. And then he started to explain. And you know, like I said, I'm 48. He started to explain, about the time you're in your mid to late 40s, early 50s, you're gonna hear a knock at the door of your heart and mind. And you look, he didn't say look to that little people, that's just me embellishing, but... He says, that voice at the door is going to tell you that's a young man's game. That's too risky. You might get hurt. Leave that for someone else. If you ever let him in, he will never leave. And so, man, I'm like, oh, man, better not even knock. Oh, man, better not even knock on my door. I mean, literally, I was just kind of all stirred up by that's the kind of stuff that fires me up. And so that's, I'm mean, like, don't let the old man in. I'm like writing about it in my journals. I'm, I'm looking for the old, I want the old man to say something to me. <laughs> and then my son, 
my son, I spend a lot of time with Reed. He's just one of my favorite guys, just such a cool kid. And um, he was like, hey, Dad, uh, I was talking with Shannon, who's um, a daddy that actually members here, Shannon Farrington. And he was telling me about this jiu-jitsu gym here in Highland Village. It's called Double Five. It's like, a, like the guy that runs. It's like a, like a 10-time world champion. We should do jiu-jitsu. <laughs> and every sentence that came out of Clint's mouth was in my head. I'm, I'm not starting that at my age. I'm not <laughs> preaching with mangled fingers and a cauliflower ear. And I don't, it doesn't sound fun to me to show up at a place and let grown men try to make me go to sleep against my will. I, I, it doesn't. And then I, and then I caught it and I was like, Oh, don't let the old man in. Dang it. So Reed and I went to double five and got our little geese. And, um, I mean, literally first night, First night on the mat, I don't even know what I'm doing. I didn't tie the thing right. Nobody helped me. I just put it on and I'm, I'm there. I'm just like, I'm nervous. I'm 6'5", 220, and I'm not near the biggest guy in the room. Like, I don't know. It's like everybody that trains there is from Gath, uh, all right? Like where, where, where Goliath was from. I don't know what's happening. A lot of creatine monohydrate in the room. And, and so I go and, and Rafael is like, like Forminga. He, he, he like, he really is a 10 time world champion. And he's showing this move. And, and then we like practice it for a second. He's like, okay, let's fight. I was like, whoa, I'm fighting. Tonight. No, I'm first night. I can't fight. I mean, I was so anxious. I was terrified to be out there. I mean, one, they're just killers there. And, no, like literally, I think some of those guys have killed people. And, um, <laughs> So then he pairs me up with this guy named Trevor who's got gauges, a green mohawk, and a tattoo on his neck. And I was like, this is a terrible way to die. And, and so we, we do, we practice the role. And he, man, he ended up being, like everybody else there, so great and so kind. He's like, that's not going to work. You don't want... You don't ever want to do that. You want to maybe try this. And then, so for the last nine months, that's where I've been, um, just consistently getting beat up and occasionally, occasionally just surviving. And, um, and here's, I approach it like I approach everything, which is study, find who the best is, learn from the best, and then apply. Um, so for me, that's Roger Gracie, he's 6'3", 6'4". I don't need to watch some 5'7 guy do jiu-jitsu. I can't do that. Right? I'm like, I'm 6'5". I've got legs and arms for days. I, I've got things I can do that they can't. They've got things I can do. And, and so here's what I've learned. Jiu-jitsu more than anything else I've ever done. None of that matters. None of it. None of my study. None of my watching videos. None of even like private one-on-one has got me anything. The only thing that works is time on the mat. It's awful. Like the only way to get better at all is to get on that mat. And after nine months, I mean, I, listen, they did a big thing at our gym called Jesus and Jiu-Jitsu yesterday. I'm there. Jesus and Jiu-Jitsu? Jesus and trying to choke somebody? Yes, Lord. I mean, I've been asking for that my whole life. And, and so, man, I go, and I'm telling you, man, I am always anxious. I'm never not anxious going in. Like, it's a hard thing to do it. I don't know enough to be out there, but the only way to know enough is to do it. Like, I'm not going to watch Roger Gracie and then magically be able to do that. I got to get, I got to take the risk. Uh, I got to tape the fingers. Uh, I got to just get out there and learn. I've got to lean into the anxiety and just know I, I want to, I want to stay at this and just keep showing up. And you and I, as post-enlightenment evangelicals, are absolutely convinced that God's call on your life is to continue to intellectually grow and understand the kingdom, and you're missing the power because the power is in doing, not knowing. 
And I'm not knocking knowing. Knowing fuels doing. But we've teased it out. Great at showing up for Bible studies. No real courage to live it out in our neighborhoods and workplaces. So here's what I want to do. And I'm going to go over a little over, but I just want to give you some time on the mat. <laughs> Anxious, you might get bruised up a little bit, and it'll be worth it. So let me show you what I'm talking about. I'll be right back. We're almost there. Uh, outreach training has uh, strongly affected my, my daily walk with the Lord. It's given me confidence that I didn't even know I had. One of the things I love about this class is it really increased my joy and intimacy with the Lord in a way that I really didn't even know was missing. You get to see multiplication in action. So one person sharing with another, sharing with another, and it's changing the trajectory of these families. Part of the training was to go out to parks and other places in public and share the gospel. And in doing so, we shared the gospel with a, a couple. And in turn, the husband of the couple has shared the gospel with his entire family and even been called to share the gospel with childhood friends. So in a matter of months, the Holy Spirit moved and made some things happen just by us planting one seed at one park one day. We're all called to the work of evangelism, even if it's not in our comfort zone. And this class provides you with the tools to be able to do it in your everyday spaces with everyone you come across. There's no need for special gifts or talents or anything. Um, you're going to be equipped in this training consistently with how to share your faith. I had the opportunity of getting to see one of the members of our sending program um, live out this missional mindset. And I saw the Lord convict me of the fear um, that I had um, in sharing my faith. Do I have enough answers? Will I say the wrong thing? Will I say the right thing? Will, will I look foolish? There has to be a death to self that I would be um, truly compelled by Christ's love to go and share um, what He has done. So many of us don't know where to begin or feel ill-equipped when sharing the gospel. So that is why we developed outreach training. Throughout this class, our leaders take you through interactive teaching and real-world application with support for you at every step along the way. You don't have to be a skilled public speaker or a famous evangelist to tell people about Jesus. All you need is compassion for your neighbor and the willingness to learn. My hope and prayer for the Village Church is not that we would just be um, reservoirs just storing up um, knowledge and experiences, but that the Village Church and its people would be known as people that cannot stop talking about what they have seen and heard and known in Jesus Christ. Yeah. So that's time on the mat, if you will, right? An exercising of what you know. Let, let me, literally, three minutes, I'm ending. The Great Commission in Acts 1, 6 through 8, they're imperatives. Are you tracking with me on that? Like, they're commands. They're not like, when you get around to it, they're not like secondary. They're, they're like, Jesus is saying, therefore, go, right, in, into all, all the world and make disciples. Jerusalem, where you are, you start at your house. You start in your home. You start on your street. You start at where you work. This is, it's most usually played out just by asking people how we can pray for them uh, and then circling back around in those conversations and presenting why you were so bold as to ask why you could pray for them. It's a, it's a shocking thing to ask somebody how you can pray. The number of people that have just vomited all over me that I didn't know at all, who I just said, I'm gonna, I've got some time set aside to pray this afternoon. Is there anything I can pray for you about? I mean, I'm telling you, I've had people like, like spill their marriage tea, right? And I mean, crying in a store. And I'm just like, oh, okay, this got, this got serious quick. It, people are so desperate 
to be reconnected to hope and healing. And that's why we're here. And if you're not in this, that's probably why you're bored. So in the imperative, here's, here's our opportunities. The command means we go. We start at home in our neighborhood. I'm not saying you, you go to some unreached people group, although I'm praying that you'll land there eventually. Nobody starts there. They start in their home and in their neighborhood and at their workplace and that place they get their coffee or that place where they work out or that place they, they own the mission where they are in Jerusalem. We can go. And man, if you're watching this and you're, you're in a place and you desperately want to go, like you want to go to the ends of the earth and you feel stuck, come on. Like, man, we have a residency. You, you just find us. Get online, reach out to us, and let's get after it. Like, like even the family that we commissioned today, they, they were watching us as a church from afar and came here to be a part of what God's doing in sending people to the ends of the earth. So if you're just watching this, you want to plant a church anywhere in the world. You want to plant a church across the street. Come see us. We're in. If you're in a spot that's not serious about those things, we are. Come to us, right? That's, that's an invitation. Come play. We would love it. But you, neighborhood, workplace, coffee shop, gym, bleachers at your kid's game, if you can do that righteously, right? I've seen some of you. I've seen myself. Let me say it that way. Um, go. Send. There's all sorts of ways to send. Everybody that we've ever put in front of you is, is raising resources to go. It's not easy work. It's not cheap work. The church supplements them quite a bit, but, but you can find in your call or God's call in your life for generosity to fund the sending of other people. You can pray. Pray is far, praying is far more powerful than, than we give it credit for. We're going to talk a lot about that this year. Um, prayer is, it accomplishes far more than we fathom. Anybody who says you're just praying has no idea what's actually happening when the people of God pray. And then lastly, you can be disobedient. You can just disregard all of this. Look at me, and I think you're going to make it to heaven, and you'll be there with the rest of us, and you have only robbed yourself of the joy of experiencing the very power of God in and through you, the joy of being used by God despite you. And I, I, I don't know why you would want that for yourself. I mean, I kind of do, because we kind of want to be cool, even though we're not. We kind of want everybody to like us, even though that's never going to happen. And we, uh, yeah, it's awkward. And yet the invitation is a life of power, a life of joy. And the path is that you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Let me pray for us. Father, bless these men and women. Pray that you would ring out of their hearts boredom. I pray that the little handout we gave out today, they just grab that and look at the back and find places and ways for them to get on the mat and to roll and to train and to learn and to feel. And I just pray they'd embrace the anxiety of it and uh, embrace maybe the difficulty for them in it if they're introverts or there's some other means that, that they feel uh, hinders them. I just pray a surrender to this great call you have on our lives. And if there was a brother or sister in this room that while in the middle of this sermon, we just clearly let out the gospel that wants to say yes to you. I just pray that we get to celebrate that today as they say yes to you. And um, just ask if that was you, you just let one of us know so we can follow up with you and pray with you and walk with you uh, really for the rest of our lives together. So we're committed to that. And so bless these men and women. Father, give them a vision for their homes, their neighborhoods, their workplaces, their life that's so much bigger than just retirement and hobby. 
for your beautiful name.